Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about a real humdinger. What was once thought perhaps would become a lost film was banned after its release. The 1981 horror, dare I say classic, Possession. Keeps her own secrets. Make her talk to me. It'll be the way that she wants. Tell me. Well, I think what you want to do to Bob is just... Inhuman. So what you're doing must be human. me as much as you like but it's you who wants to know things for me so please make it possible synopsis for it mr huddleston i do so as you said this is a 1981 film and i'm going to try not to put your names here directed by andrej zulowski um and it stars isabel ajani sam neil uh and some other people that i gotta watch their names uh the synopsis is after anna isabella ajani reveals to her husband mark sam neil that she's having an affair she leaves him and their son mark is devastated and seeks out heinrich the man who cuckolded him only to receive a beating after a series of violent confrontations between mark and anna mark hires a private investigator to follow her Anna descends into madness, and it's soon clear that she is hiding a much bigger secret. 
one that is both inexplicable and shocking. So this was a first time watch for both of us. We, I kind of became aware of this movie in the last years or so. It started showing up on a lot of lists of, you know, this is a horror movie, you know, the best horror movies that you haven't seen. Um, it was really hard to find and um, Shudder, uh, streaming service Shudder, uh, it was, re I don't know if they paid for the remaster, but it was remastered to 4k. Um, and it is now a shutter exclusive. So if you have shutter, this is on there. Or if you've always wanted to see this movie, this is, would be a good reason to get shutter. Um, so let's go to you first, Chris. One of the really big questions that I have about this is, is I'm, I'm really curious as an actor, what you thought of these performances because they get really over the top. Maybe I don't know if over the top is the right, is the right phrase, but, but anyway, so what did you think? Well, uh, it's definitely intense. Uh, it's super intense. I think this is some of my favorite work I've ever seen Sam Neill do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this actress looks super familiar to me, but I can't remember what I would have seen her in otherwise. While you are speaking, I'm going to look. You're gonna look it up and see. Yeah, I th I think it gives her more. She said, "Did you ever see the um the Warner Herzog uh, Nosferatu from the '70s?" No. Okay, she's in that. Um, that's one thing that I know her from, uh, she's in the tenant, which I think is a Polanski movie, I believe. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there would be, I don't know beyond that. I don't know that there would be, uh, but she definitely does look familiar. Yeah. The tenant is Polanski film. I, I've seen that. Um, but yeah, continue. I think this director has gotten, um, really primal, really raw emotional work out of both all of the characters in this film, but both of the leads, um, particularly her, um, there were some scenes, the whole movie is, it's, it's long and it's like two hours, just over two hours long. I don't think it needs to be that long. I think it's obvious when you watch it, some of the stuff that could have been pared back a little bit. There are scenes where she is having sort of physical, you know, paroxysms, almost um, fits that go on and on and on. And the one I'm thinking of in particular we spoil these, by the way. We're going to spoil this movie. So just be warned if you've never heard our podcast before we talk about it all from start I to finish. I would say if this is a movie, if you have if you have been curious about this, watch it. I mean, it's I definitely worth checking out whether you will. You should have the experience going into it, I think, clean if you can. Because, I mean, I, I, I think I could maybe say this is unlike any other movie that I've ever seen before. I, I can't really think of necessarily something I would compare this to. It's definitely, I there's been a lot of chatter about this. There were a lot of people saying, oh, finally I can see this. And I, I've seen a lot of people online say, 
who, you know, are probably just kind of conventional horror fans who are just like, that's the worst movie that I've ever seen. You know, right. so this is very much not a movie for everybody. Right. At all. And it's not trying to be. Mm-mm. I I think it feels like an incredibly personal movie. Um, and he my was hunch, probably going through some stuff when yeah, he made this. My hunch is that it's it's very grounded in a singular vision. The director's singular vision that a lot of this is personal. And um, anyway, to just speak to your question, I, this is the one of the, the one scene in the sort of subway station where she's flailing around just on and on and on. I actually started to worry. I was like worried about her neck. Like she's just thrashing and thrashing. And I thought I was afraid, you know, she's sort of gotten getting dizzy and still spasming. And I was afraid she'd accidentally hit her head against the tiles of the subway wall, like hard, like, you know, in, in, uh, in acting school, we had um, sword fighting class where we, you know, mm-hmm. it was a classical acting program. So we learned how to sword fight, stage sword fight. Um, and one of the things that was interesting to me that I wouldn't have anticipated about that is, you know, if you practice anything, you get pretty good at it. Um, and when you're doing a sword fight on stage, there is a line you don't want to cross, which is you can either, you can get so good at the fight that you're doing it so fast that the audience can't follow the choreography, which defeats the purpose, right? A choreographer designs the fight to tell its own kind of story. It's not arbitrary, right? It's a Mm -hmm. dance that has been designed by somebody that to, to tell a story. So if you do it too fast, the audience can't track it. The other thing that can happen is you can make it seem too real and the audience gets scared mm-hmm. and that takes them out of the play, right? So you don't want to take the audience out of the play and have them worry about the actors inadvertently skewering each other. Right. And that had never occurred to me. I'm like, well, wouldn't you want to make it, if you're going to fight with swords, wouldn't you want to make it look as plausible as possible? And the answer is actually no, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. people want, part of you you know you're watching an entertainment and there's a part of your brain that wants to just relax into that into that universe and then if you're worried about the performer your brain backs back out of that right now and people want to in a scary situation people want to be scared a little bit but they don't really want to feel unsafe you know or that something unsafe is happening exactly and i would argue my hunch is that that this director would have said good Yeah. You know, I want it to feel visceral is the one word that I would use. If if you said, what's, what's it like, what's possession like in a single word, I'd have said visceral. Mm -hmm. Like it really is time and time again, the movie is sort of, it's like having your guts ripped out. It's Mm -hmm. emotionally, it's really wrenching and raw. Um, I would agree. It's unlike anything I've, I I can't say what I would compare it to. I spent the majority of this film trying to sort of figure out what was going on, you know, or trying to anticipate where it was going or what this story is about. And by the end of it, um, 
I I sort of had the realization. I I said, oh, I think this is, movie is just kind of a fever dream, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's about broadly speaking, it's a kind of a visual poem about the emotional scope of it's a divorce. Mm-hmm. It's a man and a woman who were in love and they have a child and their marriage is breaking apart. And there's symbolism and there's kind of evocative imagery and it doesn't all make any sense. Right? I mean, it's not a movie that you're supposed to be like, ah, that represents this. And this means that. And oh, I see. It was all just a big allegory for this. Mm -hmm. I think the closest you can get to that is saying that this movie is trying to create the experience, a very specific personal experience, which is why I think is the director had of divorce and a messy divorce, an emotionally traumatic breakup. Um, and some scenes just seem to be about that, the evoking a feeling. And some scenes seem to be literally like that time when, you know, I I met the the man she left me for or something. You know what I mean? Like some of the stuff feels incredibly specific in a literal way. Mm-hmm. And some of it feels incredibly specific in an emotional way, but but not specific in this circumstance. Like it doesn't the scene I'm thinking of in the subway where she's thrashing around, she has a kind of abortion, she a miscarriage. She has mm-hmm. a kind of a it ends with her collapsed on her knees and her eyes. She has the most Sam Neal has got amazing eyes too, but she's got these remarkable eyes and they're she's sort of ro- stunning yeah. rolled up in her head. And she's kind of hemorrhaging blood. And it's like, it made me think of the white fluid that the androids and aliens have. Yeah. That's a good comparison. Yeah. It doesn't look human and it doesn't, right. it looks like sort of synthetic milk liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sort of starts hemorrhaging it out of her vagina and her ears. And I think even it looks like her eye, she's weeping it and it's coming out of her nose and her mouth. And it's the climax to a really upsetting scene. And it's, it's a very upsetting visual. Incredibly, I thought it was also a sort of a, in a horror movie way was kind of beautiful the way the red and the white kind of mixed and pulled around her. Right. And she was finally, her body was finally still. I mean, it didn't look rapturous. It looked, but she wasn't thrashing anymore. And I thought this movie played a lot with stuff like that, like in, tortured movement and how that resolves into something else, how there's a kind of a relief and at least it's not that other thing anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is a, is a word that was pointed up a couple of times. So I I feel like I've gotten away from your original question, but I, I feel like this is not a movie to interpret literally. No, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an experience and it's absolutely a horror film. Right. Uh, it's set in Berlin, right? And when the yep. wall is still up. So, yep, you're so right by the wall. You know, you it's can see very it. much this sort of divided. It's a city that has been cut in half by this very unnatural wall that has men guarding it and are constantly vigilant. And the whole movie is about, you know, 
divide and dis- disruption and not knowing what's going on and wanting to get back to where you were. And, you know, and that's just reiterated again and again and again. And the peaceful moments in this film are overshadowed by the sense that the division, you know, you're not away from the division. It's just lurking around the corner. It's going to happen again. Right. I don't know. That was a long rambling rant, but you know, what do you talk for a while? I, I... Yeah. So, um, the my first thought with this movie is this print is beautiful just Looks fantastic great. absolutely and some of the cinematography i mean much of the cinematography in this is some of the best that i have seen recently you know new old new movies old movies there are scenes where they're out on the streets in berlin and the camera kind of rotates around and it's just just stunning i thought um it's a little i felt a little in the beginning maybe i had some difficulty kind of getting my bearings it you have this very cinematic it's very cinematic with the look with the cinematography but early on the performances it felt a lot like a play to me um there's a scene when they're in a restaurant and they're at tables that are sort of beside each other and one's on one side, one's on the other, like not facing each other, but they're talking. And that just felt very much like that could have been a a stage performance that kind of went away after time. I don't know if I just kind of got used to the language of the film or whatever. Um, You have uh, one thing I think definitely a lot of people will not like about this is it the the dialogue mostly is not the way real people speak um i i wondered if that possibly possibly could be a so the director is polish i don't know if that could have been a language issue or it was just purposeful um but, i but, i think it was purposeful in the same way that the staging was purposeful right right in the same way that 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 uh cafe scene is as a perfect example there's a there's a corner, right, that's facing the camera, and then there's a table on the left of the corner and a table, 90-degree corner, and a table on the right. And he is sitting with his back to the wall, and she is sitting with her back to the adjacent wall. So they're sitting beside each other, but facing 90 degrees apart at separate tables. And the camera's right in the middle aiming at the corner. And you're right, it's very theatrical. It's a very theatrical conceit The people don't do that, and they both have their hands flat, you know, on the, on the table, they have their hands flat on the table and it's very staged. And I think that the language and the dialogue is all very much intentional in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, the acting performances, particularly her, like, you know, you brought up the, the subway scene and that has become kind of a meme online. And it is, I mean, that scene is incredible. I've, I've seen some criticism of these of from from some people that they've said that the performances are over the top, um, you know, which is clearly what he was going for. But I just, you know, it it seemed like that scene was a continuous one continuous take. I don't think they cut away. And I just thought, man, I, I wonder if they just did one take on this because 
you know, from, a, and I mean, you're the actor, so, you know, I wouldn't know this, but they'd have to get her another dress. They'd have to clean her up. They'd have to let her rest. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And to get into that state multiple times, I mean, and how do you, from an acting standpoint, how do you get that frantic? You know, I mean, it was exhausting to watch. And, and she, um, I forget what they, she won. Uh, I think she won best actor at con the year that this came out, but this could have, you know, these genre films like this don't typically, uh, do well at the, with awards in general, but I mean, just that scene alone to me is like a Oscar worthy performance, you know? Um, and it's like so, a it's like a Beatles album in that you know the Beatles had put out an album of songs and there would be five platinum singles on mm-hmm. one album you know which yeah most bands are lucky if they've got one like hit single on an album and the Beatles would have and this this film there's probably five or six scenes that that are these sort of I have never seen anything like that before I'm never gonna forget that mm-hmm. like the equivalent of a hit single you're just in film you're kind of like oh my god that scene you know and there there's this movie is full of them i still think it's too long it's too long yeah um because it is such an emotional roller coaster and it's really a roller coaster through emotional hell that it's exhausting and traumatic and it doesn't need to be over two hours long to achieve that. I understand right. that's what it's going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could have been an hour and a half and you could have cut out some air and you could have left. I mean, you could have trimmed out some of that scene where she's that didn't need to go on that long. Um, yeah. And I think you could have shortened that a little bit. I guess you'd if he wanted it all to be one take, you couldn't really cut into it without ruining that. But you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, she oh sure, yeah, absolutely. He was convulsing for it felt like five minutes, but I it couldn't possibly have been that long. But and I th- I think a lot of I think this would be an endurance test for a lot of people. Um, I was never bored. I, I mean, I, I, there was always something interesting happening, I felt. So I, yeah. I I definitely agree with you that it's too long. I mean, it, it, this could have been a 90-minute film, and it and it wouldn't have hurt it at all. Um, I was excited to see this, uh, you know, especially once I found out that it was going to be on Shutter. I said, you know, we've, we've got to do this one. And so I was really excited to see it. Did you know um, anything about it before? Because I did not know anything about it very little i mean i didn't i just watched the trailer and i purposely stayed away from i didn't want to read anything about it because i I didn't really want to have any spoilers um the trailer makes you know you watch the trailer and you think wow this is going to be terrifying and it's very much a horror movie in that there you you know you watch for a while and you wonder it's 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 kind of a drama in a way as much as anything but eventually there is an actual monster in this that yes. we see. Pretty soon. Sooner yeah. than I would have thought. Because at first I thought, I was like, oh, okay. Is she possessed by the devil? Like, is it a demonic possession? Because right. she keeps sort of leaving, but she seems to want to stay. 
but she can't stay and it seems to be tearing her apart. And he's like, what? Just tell me what it is, you know? And I think, oh, it's Satan or this demon. And she's mm -hmm. going and she's possessed by this demon. And then even when you get, so you get to a place where he hires someone to tail her and we see this first and it's, it is visceral and gross and you can't quite get your head around what it is exactly, but it is supernatural. You go, mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it, I mean, it's an alien or it's a manifestation or it's something that's got this power over her, but there it is. And I feel like it was only about half an hour into the movie. So right. it's a two hour movie. And I thought, well, we're not going to see this thing until act three. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, no, the guy follows in. Is We see him taking it in and he is shocked by it and we see it. And I was shocked by it. I was like, yeah. Oh, so there is a character that is this tentacly gross. So did you get Lovecraftian vibes from this movie? Yeah, I I did. And I, I wondered about that because it seems like we get so much Lovecraft stuff now. It's like, it almost seems like every horror thing you see is all of the, you know, it's Lovecraftian. I don't know if Lovecraft was that big of a deal at the time. Uh, maybe I, I, I don't know. Um, people, but people say Lovecraftian and I think they mean different things. I think they're thinking of Cthulhu and they're thinking of this sort of what looks like a mind flare. It's got kind of a squid for a head and it's got lots of tentacles. Mm -hmm. There's lots of writhing tentacles and they think, oh, it's Lovecraftian. But right. what I think of when I think of Lovecraftian or from in the mountains of madness is the idea of what is horror, right? This sort of existential unmooring of the mind from what we understand to be reality. Mm -hmm. so trying to create in the reader the experience of what true horror is. Not witnessing a murder. I'm not saying murder is not horrific, but but horror in the sense of losing your mind of horror that drives you mad. Mm -hmm. It's so other than the reality we experience. And I feel like a lot of the horror in this movie is about that kind of existential insanity. Like yeah. she'll get close to it or the other guy will get close to it. And they start doing these kind of like, they're like almost like something is controlling their mind. Like their brain can't take it, whether they're you definitely felt that way with the boyfriend that it was like he was just overwhelmed by how horrified he was. And 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 then when the the second or the maybe it's the first time you see it, it's sort of this thing on the bed and it has these kind of writhing tentacles. I mean, the two things together said Lovecraft to me that mm -hmm. not that I, I mean, maybe this maybe there is stuff from a Lovecraft story in this. I don't know his entire body of work, but. Those two things made me think, oh, this is really, this is horror of the coming apart of the mind, right? And mm -hmm. it's trying to create what that experience is like watching the woman you love go through this and then start what it feels like if you're, if you're coming apart in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, you know, felt that a bit, you know watching it i i don't think i thought about lovecraft too much but um but yeah i mean i think it definitely that idea of just because 
everybody in this movie is insane basically or or seems insane um especially the two of them i mean it's just you know there's a lot of insane behavior between the two of them but um i forget where i had to, uh, some point that i was that i was going to go with but well you uh, you had said that you know eventually we do see a monster oh yeah eventually we do see the monster the the I was expecting this to be a really terrifying movie and I wouldn't really, you know, the monster is creepy and everything. Oh, and I should say the creature and I, I don't, I should have looked up the name ahead of time. The creature design, the guy that did that the next year in 1982 won an Oscar for ET. Mm. So he designed ET. That's the other thing is as you're starting to watch this. There's, there's, uh, credits at the top of the movie and it says mm -hmm. special creature effects by this guy mm -hmm. and so you go oh there is gonna be there's gonna be right i mean you don't see yeah, somebody yeah, doesn't get a, a credit that... at the top for it's like sam neil her directed by special creature effects and you're like so yeah that's a oh this is gonna figure prominently in it like we're gonna yeah. see i didn't know i thought it might have been all very damien where it's just like you know, and then bad things happen, you know, just a psychological, yeah. completely. A psychological I, I don't know. Movie. I had no idea. But then but of yeah, course, all the trailers there's... have got like tentacles and stuff all over it. Some of them do. So I'm kind of like, well, what is this movie about? You know, but so there's definitely a creature. But uh, I mean, I wouldn't say this was particularly scary. I saw one comment from from somebody online who said um, who really liked the film. And they said it's the exorcist, but scary which, you know, people generally think of The Exorcist as being a yeah. very scary film, you know. So this is more, you know, I don't even know that for the most part, I would really call this super disturbing. I mean, it's definitely upsetting some of some of the things that you that you see in this. But, um, you know, it's um, so I wasn't disappointed in any way. I really liked this a lot. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I'm getting. I think that's what that kind of goes to what I'm thinking about with the Lovecraft references. It's not terror. Mm -hmm. It's horror. Yeah. And it's different. Right. Right. Friday the 13th is terror. There's a man mm -hmm. with a knife. He's in your dreams. He can come out of the bed. He's behind the door. He's in the mirror. Right. This isn't it's a movie all... that you watch it and then, oh, I'm afraid to go into the dark basement now because maybe that thing is going to be in the, you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's horror. Like the guy goes down in the diving bell and, and witnesses some Leviathan of such scope. And you know, that when he comes back up, he's, his hair is snow white and he's lost mm -hmm. his mind. It's, it's existential horror. Like I can know my can't literally can't get my brain around reality encompassing this and it's it's i'm losing my mind about it so it mm -hmm. isn't scary no but it's upsetting yeah and and deeply unsettling i mean i think that i think that's what this movie is going for is sort of pure existential horror of right. like what is my life without this person who am i in the wake of this like this thing that's happening and changing that i can't control that's turning me into something else it's sort of the, 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 I mean, there is some body, body horror in this, but it's kind of the emotional mental equivalent of body horror, right? This right. Kind of transformation of your psyche and the person you knew and 
the mother of your child and looking at her and, and, you know, being like, I don't know who this is anymore, you know? And I wondered if possession rather than being possessed by the devil or something like that is literally wanting to possess someone, you know, he's, he's lost her, he's losing her. And he, they're, they're early on in the film when she leaves, uh, he goes through withdrawal, like drug withdrawal. Yeah. And, you know, he's all pasty and he's, you know, shaking and like convulsing. The DTs. And, yeah, yeah, like, like DTs. The DTs. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen that presented in a film that, you know, a breakup or the end of love is like, an going addict. through yeah. an addict going through withdrawal and know? it's in it, it so again this is it's a theatrical at first i thought oh did he crawl into a bottle and now he's and, it, and looking back on it i'm like no it's just the experience it's just what it felt like he couldn't get out of bed he you know he ached it was tearing him apart like the dt so it's all it's, there's a lot of simile and metaphor visual in the in this film and i think that if you look at it through that lens, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have fought so hard to to make sense of this movie if I watched it again. No, well, I mean, knowing where it goes, because I think it it is like a poem, and it's not it's not literal; it's evocative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it tells a story through the experience of it. Right, and I, you know, I I could. I would not be able to say what I think exactly what this movie is about other than, other than, you know, a, a terrible breakup. I mean, I think they're definitely, you know, I think he's making comparison between uh, this couple breaking up and a, and a country being split into and uh, you know, he grew up in communism and I I'm sure there's probably some, you know, references to communism here, but like, there's a, there's a thing early. Oh, one thing that really made me laugh is after the, after watching the movie, I was reading some things about it, you know, reading some articles and early on in the film, we have Sam Neill and he goes and meets with these employers of his in this right. big office room. And, uh, they ask him some questions and they talk about his successor and thing. And there's some, some question or reference to a man with, if you see a man with pink socks and then at the end of the film, we see a man with pink socks and I'm just like, what is this? I have no idea what this is supposed to mean, but you know, he, they do this kind of debriefing with him and then he walks out and he has a briefcase and he opens it up. There's just all this cash in there. And so then there's not really much, else about his his job you know it's just like he doesn't work again after that i guess right. he, he just has enough money that he doesn't need to right. work for a time or whatever but and then at the end there's this shootout with the police that kind of comes from nowhere but i read this article afterwards and they you know it's kind of outlying what it did and it says that he's, he's an international spy and i thought could anybody watch this movie and come to the conclusion that he's an international spy. <laughs> it's so far from what this movie 
is about and spends yeah. time on. But there is this sort of. I mean, it's bracket. not really important to the to the film. No, but, it's but there like, is this sort I of. I never would have guessed that framing of the film that starts with him. You know, oh, he's absentee because he's been on this job and it's secret. I thought he was just a salesman. You know, <laughs> well, they say something like you've been tracking somebody and we want to continue to employ you, and he's like, no, I'm out, and it's yeah. all kind of cagey. And then he does the cash, and I'm like, oh, okay, so he's like into something slippery. And, you know, but the most important thing is he's, he's secretive and he hasn't been around. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and at the end, when they kind of bring it back to justify this kind of car chase and shootout, after everything we've seen in between, I'm like, we're coming back to the guy in the pink socks. Like, what? Yeah. we already know this movie is not about that. Right. And I don't know if it's supposed to be that. You know, your real life is still happening, you know, no matter how wrapped up in all of this stuff you are, you still put on your shoes and you go out in the street and other people are dealing with you, you know, from the narrative there, right? The story of the world is still going on, even though that's not what you've been living. I, I yeah. That's as much sense as I could make of it because it sort of tries to put it back in this frame of like, oh, this is a conventional thriller. And you're like, this is not that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, that felt very much like, you know, just kind of thrown. It's like, hey, we have to have somebody for something for the audience yeah. or whatever. But yeah, the, the pink socks thing felt to me like, like it's, and I definitely think this, although I liked the movie, um, I would imagine that this director is incredibly pretentious and, you know, um, maybe I, I, uh, I mean, I'm just guessing, but, uh, it, it felt like it was almost like the girl with the red coat and Schindler's list that it's like, Oh, we're going to show you this yeah. and then we're going to do a callback to it later. And it's going to be very, very profound, <laughs> but it didn't feel profound. It just felt like, what is this? I don't know what this is supposed to mean. You know? And like you said, it, it, I don't know that that's even really the point. It's I, I think you saying that it's like a poem is a, is a really great uh, comparison because it's so this film the is creature, like right? This creature turns into him. Right. And he actually, when he finally sees it. Well, so let me stop you there for just a second, because I, so in the end, they have this, um, is that when, when it's, when it's having sex with her, was that him? Well, was it kind of looked like, like the back of his head, you know, okay. he's standing I... there, he's standing there watching this. It's on okay. top of her and it's semi-human mm -hmm. and semi-fetal and sort of semi-alien, you know? Because I don't think I really picked up on that, that it had turned into him. But by the end... But she so... said, almost there, almost there. And I thought, as she's saying, she's almost achieved climax. But then yeah. later, I think, I look back and I thought, no, I think she's saying, I think it's been turning into him the whole it's time. It's almost fully transformed. Okay. And she's somehow, you know, loving it literally, you know, carnally, is somehow driving that transformation and okay almost there means it's almost like it was it was supposed to look familiar to him because it becomes this pretty creepy um sort of alien looking kind of ideal younger you know smoother blanker him it's played by him obviously oh right 
she's in the movie a second time too. She she plays the kid's teacher, his son's right. teacher. So he goes to pick his son up from school, which his wife usually does, and she's left him already. But she comes down and says, "Oh, hello," and and he grabs her and he's like, "What is this? Some kind of a joke?" You know, he's he's furious. She has different color hair and she has green contacts. Yeah, and, and he's yeah. like, "What with the wig?" And 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 then he sort of realizes, "Oh, it's not her," but it is played by the same actress. So we're in his shoes, being like. She what looks the hell just is like going a... on here, yeah. So at the end of the film, then it's never explained or addressed. He we... just comes to accept that oh, it's not her, and it's not his her identical twin sister, right? It's just what, and we we don't really get an explanation exactly. But at the end of the film, so he has this shootout with the police, and she shows up there, and then this I was calling it a clone. Um, is you know this other version of Sam Neill, and so I guess I didn't pick up on that. So, so the thing that was having sex with her then, then because I thought it was like the, the, um, the creature had you know, I thought the creature impregnated her, and then she gave birth to this new Sam Neill. Oh. And then the same thing had happened with, I I mean, I could be totally wrong about that. I mean, you may be right that that was, that the creature was, but the, I assumed after seeing, you know, after we get the, the, the Sam Neill, the second Sam Neill, then I, I came to the conclusion that the, the teacher is also a clone of her, that she, she birthed her somehow. I don't know if I'm wrong about that or not, but well, then none of that ever occurred to me. I thought so. The first time we see it, it's this sort of, it's like a wall of slime. It's like mm -hmm. a living wall of of yuck, and a viscera, and yet there's a sort of a head like, you know, I didn't know if it was something that was coming through from another dimension or what, but there's sort of a head and shoulders that's kind of you know, moving to indicate that it's alive. That's the first time we see it. The second time we see it, it's this kind of uh, torso on the bed. It's not any bigger than that. It's like if you cut somebody's arms and legs off and it was lying on a bed and then there's these sort of writhing tentacles, thin, but, you know, kind of lazily moving around on the bed. And she says he's tired because he's been making love to me all night long or something, which mm. is really upsetting seeing that thing. And the guy, the other guy who's witnessing this, who she later cuts up and puts in the fridge is very upset by it too. Um, the third time we see it is a more human sized figure kneeling on the ground. It's got a kind of a column for a head, but it has eyes and a mouth, right? Eyes mm -hmm. on the side of the head. And there's a push in shot of it sort of looking up into the camera it's like has eyes now and it, it looks up and maybe it's at Sam Neill. I can't remember who is seeing it that third time. I think, is that the Heinrich? That's Heinrich. Seen? Heinrich mm -hmm. sees it in that state. Um, And then the fourth time we see it, it's literally on top of her making love to her. And it's mostly more or less human from the waist up. But it's sort of, I don't know how you'd describe it from the waist down, um, sort of a big worm-like weird thing. Mm -hmm. But the back of its head somehow 
evoked Sam Neill to me. I mean, you're probably right about that. I didn't really pick and up I on thought it. I just thought the thing was evolving and somehow okay. through making love to her or her making love to it, it was transforming. And then when it shows up, I mean, when his, I guess the doppelganger or clone or whatever shows up, um, it doesn't look quite human. It looks like one of those aliens, like body snatcher kind of things. Like we have right. taken your form to fit in with you. It looks very other, but it's clearly Sam Neill. Um, and See, I, I thought, thought when oh, she was taking become, those, when become. she was taking those men in there and killing them, I thought the creature was sort of absorbing them. Oh, um, so I don't. I, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but. Uh, well, either way, it doesn't make a literal sense. Like, no, it I mean, doesn't make a literal either sense. way, when you come around to be like, oh, because there's no answer, <laughs> right? And I mean, then or the... it's open to interpretation at the very least, because yeah. the film doesn't explainerate what's happening. It's not an alien that has possessed her and it's creating a new, it's not Starman, right? It's uh, It's some part of this big allegory and metaphor for what's going on with them emotionally but it literally yeah. manifests and ends in a big car crash and gunfight and sam neil gets shot a bunch and dies and then this doppelganger comes home where the school teacher is taking care of the kid in his house and the doppelganger saying neil's at the door and the kid is like don't open it don't open it right and he's just—you can see him. Well, you can see him through the kind of smoky glass. Yeah, and he's being creepy. And she stands there, and it's a close-up on her face. And then we hear war sounds, you know, like bombs dropping and and planes and things like that. Um, which, uh, uh, yeah, and <laughs> emoji the, shrug emoji. <laughs> yeah, and and you almost feel like again. Trying to make literal sense of this is is probably, you know, you're probably going to be wrong. But the 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 Sam Neil clone or whatever he is, um, in the moment I almost felt like, well, she was creating a better version of him, and and then the teacher is a better version of her, but the teacher. There's never anything sinister or weird or anything about her. She just seems almost like she's inherently good. And she's taking care of Bob, the son, which you think a little Bob. boy named Bob is, is odd. Um, but then when the kids start saying, no, no, don't answer the door, don't answer the door. And the Sam Neill cloned, you know, seems like he's evil. And so I don't know. It's almost it's almost like, uh, the, you know, she has been replaced by this better kinder not insane version but he is is not i don't know um but again i'm as i've been thinking about it since i watched it a day or i guess maybe two days ago um increasingly i've thought it's this is not a movie you know it's not like oh there's a big twist ending and then you're like wait i didn't get it you know i missed it Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't, just don't think it's that kind of movie. I don't think it's supposed to be parsed. I think you're just supposed to go on the ride and feel it all. 
and you're not supposed to walk away with an answer. You can't take your decoder ring and decode it and be like, oh, there's no, it's not a movie with an answer. It's a movie about what happened and how it felt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, Which for sure. It's unconventional yes. for a movie. So, so I mean, if we apply my litmus test of like, did I enjoy this? I did not enjoy this. Uh, I did find it absolutely riveting, and I'm really glad we watched it. Mm-hmm. I doubt. I mean, I may go back and watch some of it again. I doubt I will go back and watch this whole thing from start to finish again. Because watch scenes would definitely be interesting. It's yeah. exhausting, you know. Yeah. But there are there are solid like five six scenes in this that i think i need to see again because it's they're just crazy crazy but i don't think i need to go on the whole ride again i went on it i'm glad i did it's remarkable Mm. i think people are like this is the worst movie i've ever seen strongly disagree i think it's unlike anything i've ever seen before and by that metric you you know if you're into movies and you want to see movies that don't have anything you can compare them to, you got to see this movie. Like it's, it's and not crazy not to be, you know, critical of, of anyone's taste or anything like that. But if you are someone that, you know, you want a B C and you get to the end and all oh, that, and, you know, and they, this is and not that movie kiss or right off into the sunset. You're, you're really going to dislike this film. Yeah. You know, but it's um, and it is not a movie that's made to be enjoyed. I mean, I think even Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, it's made to be enjoyed there. Even The Exorcist is made to, you know, have a beginning, a middle and an end and leave you like some not some horror movies don't have a happy ending. Right. But they they're designed to be cathartic and satisfying in the way that their genre has set expectations to be. Mm hmm. Um, you know, zombie movies, traditionally, nobody gets out alive. Nobody survives a zombie movie. That's the whole point. It is the apocalypse, right? So you don't say, well, yay, at the end of it, you know, but but that's what you're expecting from that thing. And this doesn't really give you any of this. If anything, it sort of frames it like a more conventional movie, but it's almost less satisfying to have that kind of set up or gestured at and then have the movie continually remind you, like, that's not how it happens. It's, you know, not in life. It's no, you don't ride off into the sunset. You don't get an easy answer. There's no explanation, right? And the fact that it's so harrowing and exhausting, it doesn't make it an entertaining watch. But I, I was riveted by it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely enjoyed it from the standpoint of, like I said, there's so many beautiful shots, you know, it looks so great. And just these, um, you know, everybody was good in it, but particularly her performance. I mean, just to see someone just commit to the degree that she did. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of unlike anything you've ever seen on screen, I guess. And this movie is, to me was much more about mood than anything. Um, I guess maybe another film that I would somewhat compare it to, I guess, is did you ever see under the skin? Yes. The Scarlett Johansson movie? Yes. 
you know, there's some but that has a story. That, it does. That has yeah. a story where you can sort of. I mean, you don't get spoon-fed reasons, you know, answers of like, oh, who are they? How long have they been here? What are they? You know, I don't. We we haven't done that one, have we? No. So I don't want to ruin that too much, but that is upsetting in visceral ways. But it still conforms. It's a very small, very indie feeling film, but it still conforms to the kind of arc. We meet the character, things are cruising along, something changes, that sets in motion a series of events that come to a resolution, mm -hmm. you know? And so at the end of the movie, I had an understanding of who was who and what had happened and what had gone wrong and where we ended up. And I didn't think, I can't get my head around that movie, but I, I mean, I... It it is upsetting in in similar some similar visceral ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, that felt, that's that's kind of what it, from a mood standpoint. It, that it felt like be. a much more conventional film to me. Yeah. In terms that's of its sure. structure and, yeah. and shape, this is like what the hell is happening here? There's one scene in this where he um he lures Heinrich to this bar, and he. Sam Neill goes into one of the, they go into the bathroom and he goes to one of the stalls and he acts like he's sick and he stuffs stuff into the toilet paper. And then he gets him to, and he's like, Oh, I'm sick. And he gets him to come in there and then he hits him in the head with the top of the, you know, he takes the lid off the toilet and hits it and then stuffs his head in there and flushes the toilet. It's and sprinkles like, his drugs around, I guess, to make it look like he was high. And somehow yeah, it's just like, I don't, what a bizarre way to kill somebody. I mean, is this the international spy? Now? I guess maybe I, that was, that was, I, spy. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know, but, uh, and, and the only other comparison I would make with this is the scenes where she's in this rundown apartment with the squid creature, um, that reminded me a good bit of the original Hellraiser. I don't, have you ever seen that? No. That's one we ought to do sometime. Really? Um, I yeah. Don't, I, I don't love that, that corner of the genre they're all from like a dimension of pain people right is that the... yeah but it's not as i don't know i'd be i'm kind of on the fence as to what you it's not as gross as what you would would think it is but i i almost have to, to guess that that uh i i'm just totally a guess here but but that um Clive Barker had seen this and that influenced because I definitely huh. had vibes of that. Um, well, that because not to give anything away, but there's a uh, a woman is is luring um, uh, luring men into this house to kill them for this other guy that that she's in love with, and and that that felt a lot like the scenes in this but it's something we might try sometime because it's it's not real all right i mean i trust it's, you if you think it's, it's not yeah. going to break my fragile little no i don't brain. think i i think i i think there's the later ones are are terrible but the first one is is really at at the at the time when it originally came out i thought oh this is terribly freaky and then i've seen it recently and it's yeah it's um you know i don't think you would think it was like too it's not torture porn-ish. I mean, there's blood in it and stuff, but I don't know. We we might we might have to do it'd be an interesting conversation, I think. Okay. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm to kind of, you know, if you wanting to get into our, another kind of point maybe that I make before we get into the wrap up is I could see maybe audiences watching this now. And, you know, again, it, it, you know, I don't know if he had just gone through the director that is had gone through a divorce or was going through a divorce, but I, I think there can be some criticism maybe made of some misogyny that that this is kind of like oh women are crazy and you know irrational and all that but sam neil is crazy in this too i mean you know there's uh so yeah it's um, hard to know some of the characters espouse some sort of stuff like that and it's it's hard to know what is supposed to just be that character expressing their worldview or saying something from the existential pain they're feeling or the director believes that's how the world is and men and women, you know, it's hard to parse, but it's in there. Yeah. And you do kind of wonder, you know, where does, where does this kind of movie come from, from a person's mind? You know, I mean, it's, um, it feels, that's why I think it, I think it said, um, it feels so personal. It feels cathartic to me. It feels mm -hmm. like probably the director, I don't, did the director write it too? Must have. I think so, it, it yeah. It feels like an auteur's vision of, it just feels in, incredibly specific to the, you know, the the mind behind it, the eye of the camera, and it feels... He wrote it with someone else. It feels very personal and very cathartic. Like this, maybe, maybe he went through a divorce, you know, that sort of was this shape and they had a child and it was, it tore him apart. And this is him kind of exercising those demons and working through it, turning his, using art as sort of therapy as a way to navigate through it. Right. That's what it feels like to me. It's harrowing. And as, you know, as strange as it is and, doesn't make sense and all of that technically it's really fantastic i i feel you know? yeah the camera work the film filmmaking the, yes i think the only thing you could you could hold up in that argument is like films have a certain structure you had said something uh in a text to me off offline a while ago there you like you said i just feel like the basics of filmmaking haven't changed in a long time. Like, you know, some, some movies feel like they could have been made. Just pick a different decade and this would have fit into it that, that the filmmaking hasn't fundamentally changed. I do think one aspect of that is whether or not it is true. The reason you see such formulaic stuff sometimes and even when it doesn't feel formulaic if you step back and you hold up the template of the formula to it it lines the formula is there they've just done a great job with all the other stuff so you're not feeling the formula mm -hmm. is that it's effective right the hero's journey blah 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 like it's because it resonates with people audiences relate to the shape of that mm-hmm um, you know, and I think you can certainly make a movie that is a good film that doesn't conform to those kind of, um, expectations, 
But I do think that one way that translates to an audience is it's a little challenging, right? Yeah. My mind was constantly trying to find the formula. I was trying to find find the framework to fit this into. And what is this? What is happening? You know, I think that's part of the point of the film. But it's like, well, I want to build an airplane that doesn't, you know, isn't shaped like an airplane. And mm -hmm. you say, okay, well, you can build whatever you want. And they can have many amazing features, but maybe it won't fly. Like maybe yeah. it'll get banned and be a lost. You know, I don't know if this was financially successful or if that's even a goal or that's even why he made it. But I, you know, he's clearly knows what he's doing as a filmmaker and he's working with people absolutely, yeah, that know what they're doing as a filmmaker. And this hits technical marks and the performances are incredible. I think what you're left with feels more like a a personal cathartic, you know, kind of a die act of a diary. It was a film he felt he had to make right for himself. Um and did this remarkable job with it. And what's left is a film that it can be challenging for an audience. You know, if, if people don't get it, I'm just saying from one angle, if if you make a movie and people don't get it and they walk out of being like, I don't get it. From one angle, that's a failure as a film, right? Mm -hmm. Films, I mean, unless you just made it for yourself and you're, you don't ever show it to anybody and it's just the thing you go back and revisit. But, you know, the idea is you put it out there and it wins awards at con or whatever and people see it and watch mm -hmm. it and want to see it and tell their friends to go see it. Um, And I don't, I just don't feel like this film is aiming at that and... Mm -hmm. I think it's still a remarkable movie. I am. I don't regret for a second having watched it, but. Oh yeah, for sure. You say it looks amazing and all this is amazing. And I agree, but I think that it fundamentally defies some sort of structure and uh, form basics that. Right. I think by design alienate the audience. And so yeah. you think, well, how interesting you make a movie that alienates your audience. <laughs> And yeah. then you have a conversation I'm like, okay, well, why, why did you do that? And why would you do that? You know, but we're having that conversation like, right. <laughs> so, you know, with the formula, sometimes I wonder if films are as formulaic as what we think they are. And they, and they certainly are to a degree, but also like with the two of us, we've been watching movies for almost 50 years. So there aren't many formulas that we, you know, we've seen all the formulas, you know what I mean? It's like, if there, you there really aren't that many formulas, yeah. they're all versions of the same formula. And I think yeah. that some of the bad movies we watch don't conform to anything. They just yeah. wander around in, you know, in a in what feels like a pointless way. And they're boring and, and maybe they feel self-indulgent and they're uninteresting because you're not or you don't care about the protagonist, right? There's many, many ways in which a movie can lose its audience. Mm-hmm. But I think that the formulas are there not because some executive dictated it has to be that way, because all the way back Shakespeare earlier, the Greeks, it's like, you know, they they hit upon this. There are only of, so many stories. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that 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 people like, you know, the story part of our brain likes to go on that arc. Mm -hmm. You know, we love to meet this is one we love to meet the underdog, Perseus, right? I mean, he's a demigod, hardly an undergod, but you know, 
grandfather tried to kill him and his mother at birth, but the gods mm -hmm. intervened, you know, and look at the heroic things he did. He saved, he defeated the fight, the last Titan and right. It's a Cinderella story. I mean, what Perseus Cinderella. <laughs> I mean, we just, mm -hmm. we love this idea in America, certainly of the underdog. And there's these, you know, handful of stories that we just, we like it to feel familiar and we like it to feel like there's a triumph. And as you said, not, that we can sort of see why it fell apart. Like, Oh, it's a, you know, it's Romeo and Juliet. Like we really wanted them to get together. To, it's a tragedy, but it was so close. Like we see how it could have been there, but this one's a sad one because stupid, you know, fate or humanity. And Oh, why? Mm -hmm. But it's still super satisfying because we get we get the the near miss, mm -hmm. you know. I don't know. I, I yeah, no, no. I I agree. I uh, with the formula thing. I watched this with my sister and brother in law, and my brother in law like and and as you said, this movie he he's not interested in the formula. He's you know he doesn't care. Uh, but my brother in law says. Oh, it's going to be, there's no real monster or anything. It's just all in her head. She's just imagining all of this. And it's like, because we've seen so many movies where they do that, that's the formula that you're expecting. But you know, the first time you see a movie that does that, you're just like, oh my God, it's all, it's all in their head. None of this was real, you know? Um, but I guess yeah. you, you know, you're used to the formulas and you're trying to make some sense of it and grasp onto that, but this movie doesn't care about that. Yeah. And I think even deeper than that, this movie, it feels like this movie is saying not so much, this is what divorce is like, but this is what my divorce felt like. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's all the technical amazingness of the different aspects of the filmmaking, the performances he got out of them and the visual stuff that he came up with. And, I could leave some of the high flown philosophical language, whatever. Right. You know, it didn't do anything for me, but visually right. I did. It hit me in the gut in a way that I, like you said in the beginning, I, I, I don't know what to compare this film to. I've never mm -hmm. seen anything quite like it. Yeah. So, I mean, on that basis alone, I have to recommend it. I, I would put a big asterisk that's like, you know, mom, if you're listening, I don't think you're going to like this movie. So maybe you can skip this one. But <laughs> if you're like us, that we're like cinephiles and we like horror and we we like the kind of, you know, movie making for its own sake. You got to see this. It's just I mean, crazy. If you are tired of formulaic films yes. and you want to see something that you haven't seen before. Yes. This is a really good one to watch. But yeah, as I said at the beginning, there's definitely a caveat of, you know, there are a lot of people that would just hate this movie. I mean, like, yes. you know, they would just think it was awful. And and yeah, if I, you know, if I told my parents to watch this, they would, you know, they would probably talk about this for the rest of their lives. Just be like, you made us watch that terrible movie. You know, what was, what were you thinking? You know, why would you watch something like that? But, but uh, I actually had I, the thought, like, as I'm trying, I'm trying to think of things that I would want to curate, make like maybe on a quarterly basis at one of the theaters around here where, you know, people can get a drink and maybe we have a food truck or something where there's something where people could come and we'll get a local uh, radio be a great or festival. Somebody who, yeah. Yeah. But pr probably not the festival that I'm doing because I'm focused on independent cinema, but 
but something that I would curate as festival adjacent in and say, look, this movie is 100% not for everybody, but if you've ever heard of it and you watch the trailer and you, you seem interested, we're going to screen it. You know what I mean? It's like, and in the area where you live, where there, you know, there are definitely some people there that are, there's going to be some people that are down to like check out some crazy shit like this. But I think the trick is marketing in such a way that like, look, you know, Hey, watch the trailer. Right. And if you watch the trailer and you go, yikes, not for me, then trust that instinct. (laughs) And yeah, I saw a lot of uh, references because like I say, this had gotten a lot of buzz. A lot of people were talking about this online, you know, saying, wow, I've been looking for this for years and I've finally it's available and I've gotten to see it. Uh, Or people are just like, oh, I've heard of this movie before, you know, and I want to check it out. And I, I saw and they maybe say this. This is maybe in the trailer. I don't know uh, that it's the ultimate cult movie. And I don't know that I would agree with that because I think, you know, like Rocky Horror is the ultimate cult to me. This is this is not a it's a fun experience for insiders to go on. The Room is a great cult. Yeah, The Room is, a you know, Repo Man is a (laughs) is a cult movie, you know, but this is not a a crowd pleaser. We ought to do Repo Man. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. Yeah. Repo a man would be fun. Long, long time. But, anyway, uh, but yeah, yeah I would for, you know, for adventuresome uh, or curious people, or you just want to see something crazy that you've never seen before. If if you really, if you like Sam Neill a lot. Um, and if you just want to see actors, just a hundred percent go for it because, you know, I was thinking there would be a lot of directors that could not get this performance out of actors. You know, I think about not to, I feel like I pick on him a lot with, with uh, some of these podcast episodes, considering how much I love his movies, like George Lucas, like, can you imagine George Lucas getting this performance out of, I don't of think, actors, you know, I don't think George Lucas, he wouldn't do a, this kind of movie, but he's not an uh, actor's director. Yeah. He's a concept director. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so. George Lucas was revolutionary at the things George Lucas was revolutionary yeah. at. But, you know, I, I've I've had the I've I've thought like if George Lucas, if his if his mind isn't if there aren't some things that are a little on the spectrum with him because he's so specific in world building, but he doesn't seem to have a real intuitive grasp on how people think and interact and behave that classic I, thing of we gotta, we gotta okay. cut it um okay at time um okay anyway chris and chris talk movies at gmail.com that's our handle we're on the socials thank you like and subscribe leave us a comment you gotta you gotta see this movie it's crazy especially if you have shutter it's it's on there and you yeah. can just watch it get a free trial it's just it's it's nuts absolutely Anyway, um, sorry, but uh, oh, it's no bedtime. Problem. I got to put the kids to bed. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris and I, we will talk to you next week.